1: Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Wine, coming January
2: 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hi, I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan.
1: And you're listening to Your Angry, Your Angry Neighborhood feminist. feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspectives. Keegan's crying. I have something in my eye, so I just use like half a bottle of eye drops in one eye to try and <laughs> cleanse, cleanse it out. i just
2: like, you look like I should give you a hug right I now. Still like I know you're not actually it. crying, but I feel you look like I should just be like, it's okay.
1: And it's all on one eye. It's like yeah. one eye is like red and puffy and weepy right now. But
2: um, but it's okay. We're it's, here. We, <laughs> Listen, we are both a freaking falling apart. Honestly, I'm just falling apart. Look,
1: really just quick, falling feel apart.
2: Do you have like? What's not right there? You have a bump right there. Yeah, I'm.
1: Sw- it's swelling. Like, my eye is swelling. I must have gotten something I'm allergic to, like, in my eye. Oh, no. This whole area is swelling. Oh, it, baby, It's okay. Girl. I'm hoping it'll go down. I have an audition later, so fingers crossed. Oh, my gosh, Keegan. Really don't want to have to show up in front of them and be like, "Um, I don't usually look like this. <laughs> I don't usually look like somebody here's, punched me in the eye.
2: Here's my headshot. I swear I don't look like that. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. Precisely.
2: Well, you guys, today we are talking about women who who have disguised themselves as men for war. We talked about this a little bit last week during our um, Latin American Feminist episode and uh, talking about some of the people in Latin American history who did that. So we thought it would be a good idea to dive into more people who have changed their identities to be able to fight in war. And I found this incredibly fascinating. While there's not, you know, there aren't pages of reasons why people would do it. There are pages and pages of women and people who have decided to Uh, disregard social norms and fight for what they believed in. Right. And I mean,
1: while there aren't a lot of reasons why necessarily, because there aren't a lot of records, there are some of these people who did keep diaries and stuff like that. Right. It's not super hard to figure out, like, why some people would choose to do this. And of course, motives are different across the board, but some that I think are maybe very practical reasons are there weren't a lot of ways for women to advance themselves uh, societally and financially of course, during a lot of this time period. Yeah. And military service is still, for people, a kind of, not easy because it's very difficult, but, like, without having a lot of money or a college education, it is a way to advance yourself into the middle class. And that hasn't changed um, very much from the time that a lot of these women were participating in the military and then of course there is also just the pride in wanting to serve their country yes i think that was a big part of it for a lot of these people and there are a certain number of these people as well who nowadays we don't want to speculate of course too much but nowadays i think there are a certain number of these people who would identify as transgender some of these people just wanted to serve in the military it wasn't that they were transgender it was a means to an end some of these other people went on to live
2: as men afterwards. Yeah. So So, during one article that I read, they were talking about how during medieval times, women lived restricted lives and taking on a male persona was the way to escape marriage or nunnery. During the... I wrote this wrong, Napoleonic War. Uh, it seemed to appeal to women, uh, and there were quite a few of examples in this period because wives and families would follow their soldier husbands around and they would be, like, camp followers, and it would make them easier to start fighting. Um, the records were not very strict. The medical um, checkups before, like, exams before joining the military were not very uh, in intensive, yeah. <laughs> you know, that they could just kind of get away with it. And, well, and
1: I think that there... During certain times of war, I got the distinct impression that there may have been a bit of turning a blind eye to some of this stuff because it was just kind of, like, able-bodied people willing to fight and die for their country.
2: Yeah, Eh. and we need some help, (laughs) Let's not pay too close of attention, you know, about the other stuff. Exactly. So one of the, like, earliest known... Possible people, but this is a legend, is Epipoli, who joined the Greek army dressed as a man. She fought in the Trojan War on the Greek side against Troy. She was soon discovered and stoned to death, so she didn't last very, like, she lasted a very short period of time actually fighting in the war. That is some toxic masculinity if I've ever heard it. It's just, like, we hate that a woman could
1: fight as well as a man so much that we are going to stone her to death. Exactly.
2: So... (laughs) It seems really intense. Yeah. And it's, unnecessary. it's very intense. And like I said, this is a mythical figure. She is part of a legend. But a lot of people say that Greek legends are regarded as retelling of historical events that have been embellished with myth and legend. So she very well could have been inspired by a real person yeah. and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, another one shortly after that, probably one of the most famous originators of this would be Joan of Arc. And Joan of Arc believed that God had chosen her to lead France to victory in a long-running war with England. She had no formal training, but convinced Crown Prince Charles of Veloise. I don't know. know. Uh, To allow her to lead a French army to be besieged, to the besieged city of Orleans, dressed in white armor and riding a white horse. So symbolic. She had attracted a small band of followers who who believed that she was a virgin who was destined to save France. It's like, guys, trust me, I'm a virgin. You can trust me. Yeah, you can trust me. I'm not
1: like one of those whores.
2: (laughs) I'm a virgin. I'm pure. She then chopped off her hair and wore men's clothes and, you know, went off to the prince's palace. She told him that he would be crowned king at the end of the war, which probably really stroked his ego. And then he was like, oh, I'm going to be king? Well, I mean, I I do believe
1: the legend also says that God told her this. So she could go to him and be like, hey, God God told told me you are going to be king. And so he was like,
2: Okay, I, I like, I get what you're saying. I like what you're I'm saying. I'm picking up what you're putting down. Exactly. So she led several French assaults against the enemy, driving the Anglo Burgundians from their bastion and fought their retreat against the Loire River? L-O-I-R-E, river. (laughs) She continued to fight and be victorious until the Burgundians took her captive. They actually thought that she was a witch during uh, this trial, as well as charging her for dressing like a man. Well, yeah, you know that
1: women can't accomplish that much. Unless uh, unless they have the devil on their side. Exactly,
2: exactly. It's the only way. And they basically had, they made her say that there was no, like, divine intervention. Like, God didn't tell her anything. The French king did nothing to assist her release, even though she, like, did amazing things for him. Um, But she actually does eventually sign a confession saying that she had never received divine guidance. And several days later, she defies orders and again wears men's clothing. And authorities pronounce her death sentence. And she was burned at the stake at age... 19.
1: So before Joan of Arc, um, there is another very famous case of this that all of us millennials should be deeply, deeply. Oh, um, I think attached I to.
2: I think I know what you're gonna say, and
1: that would be Ha Mulan. Yes. So, Mulan was in the early Middle Ages. So, uh, Joan of Arc was in the 15th century. Mulan was in the early um, Middle Ages. And yes. this was also, there was a book written, it, it is the counted as a historical fact, yeah. but it did, there is some question
2: about that because it did start as a famous Chinese poem. Yeah, well, and they did say that there was no uh, biography of her in the Exemplary Women, which was a compilation of biographies of women during the Northern White Dynasty. So that's why I think that's why are So there are, there kind of
1: are like things that call to question. I think most people generally regard it as something that did happen. Um, yeah. But there, of course, are people on both sides. Could have so been a different name, too. It could have been. So according to the original tale, the young woman disguised herself as a man and fought for 12 years against her people's enemies sometime before the 6th century. Her bravery and skill quickly won her the respect and admiration of her comrades, none of whom realized that she was, in fact, a female. Mm -hmm. Despite her fame, Mulan shunned the spotlight and retired to obscurity in rural China. Originally, it was written as a poem, but the story was expanded into a novel sometime during the Ming Dynasty, so the 1300s to 1600s. And I got a lot of my information from militaryhistorynow.com. Cool. So, if you hear me reading large passages, it was likely from that. I did look at a few other sources. Yes,
2: my main source was a amazing ranker article that was like 13 like badass. I read that one like as that. well. Yeah, yeah, that's where most of my information came from. And then from there, good old Wikipedia and for Joan of Arc, I went to history.com. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Do you want to kind of just go back and forth with other different people? Absolutely. Because mine kinda go in order of like time. Yeah. So I'm going to talk about Joanna, Countess of Flanders, and the warrior in the Hundred Year War. Nice. something uh, Some say she was inspired by Joan of Arc. Joanna was born in... Tw- well, she almost has the same name. Joanna was born in 1295. How do I even say that? Yeah, 1295. 1295, yeah. It just <laughs> sounds so weird. Joanna was born in 1295 and fought for France in the beginning of the Hundred Year War with England. Joanna dressed as a man in uniform for the siege of Hennebont and urged other women to quote, cut their skirts and take safety into their own hands. She collected 3,000 French soldiers and went up against the military camp of Charles de Blois. De Blo De, Blois? de, Blois? de I Blu- want to say, de, but it's B-L-O-I-S. De Blois is very hard. It sounds like blah. I feel like that's got to be it, though. De Blois. I mean, I don't know. French listeners. He sounds so blah. <laughs> he was the Duke of Brittany and later uh, to be canonized as a saint. Uh, Joanna and her soldiers rampaged to the camp, burned supplies, and quickly rode away. After this, she became known as Jeanne la Fleme. According to the French medieval author Jean Froissart, Joanna fought in person quote, with the heart of a lion, and in her hand she wielded a sharp glaive, wherewith she fought fiercely. She fought to ensure that her infant son would be leader of the Montfortist faction, and they moved together to England after the war. So she basically fought to make sure that, like, her son would have, like, royal hierarchy. Great. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Good for, for you. know, what you gotta do, do Joy what you Flanders. gotta do, honestly.
1: So, next one I have on my list is Britta Olof's daughter. Me too! Yes. And she was a Finnish soldier of the Swedish Cavalry. She is likely the first confirmed female soldier in Sweden. I tried to make sure my list covered not only... Especially as we get into like the Civil War and the Revolutionary yeah. War. It, it tends it's to very heavily United skew States. US and uh, UK. So yeah. I tried to uh, find people from other countries as right. well. So uh, she was likely the first confirmed soldier... Female soldier in Sweden, as well as the first confirmed Swedish example of the historical phenomena of women impersonating men to gain access to professions barred to their gender, which, I mean, I don't know if that's a phenomena as much as it's, like, a thing... out of necessity that yeah, needed exactly. to happen.
2: Um, people were like, oh, I see that this can be done. Right. Even and if they knew, because like a lot of these people were hiding their true identities. So it'd be weird to consider it a phenomenon where I don't think she wanted people to know that she was actually a woman. Right. I, phenomenon for me, gosh,
1: saying that so many times is like, banana. Um, <laughs> phenomenon for me is one of these things that's kind of like an unexplainable, like a thing that a lot of people are doing, you know? Yeah. I and, always
2: think of it as like, a very, um, like, almost fad-like... Or
1: fanatical... Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah. it, it, it has those kinds of, like, connotations, which yeah. I don't consider this to be that. I think that there were very clear, obvious reasons why women would do this and feel the need to do this. Right. Um. So, Olive's daughter was from Finland and was the widow of Niels Simonson. She dressed as a Neil man... Niels Simonson? Niels Simonson. Um, she dressed as a man and enlisted during the Livonian War, where she served in the cavalry and was killed in battle. On June 16th, 1569, John III of Sweden ordered Gabriel Christensen to investigate the matter and gave the order that her remaining salary should be paid to her family, mm-hmm. which is pretty amazing. I mean, we're going to see... Very,
2: like, progressive. Yeah.
1: We're going to see, in, especially for, you know, the 1500s, we're yeah. going to see instances in here where we'll see both. we we'll Yeah. See see times whenever they did get their pensions or their families got their pensions, and we'll also see times when those were withheld or worse, yeah. <laughs> where they were hung or stoned today. Yes,
2: Exactly. All right, the next one that I have is Christian Kit Kavanaugh, and I really, really like this lady. She is known as the Career Dragoon. She was an Irish woman who served in the British Army during the 18th century. She was known as a wild child as a kid, which I'm like, mm, girl after my I own bet. heart. She married Richard Welsh, and they ran a pub together. There was like, I guess her, I think her father had run a pub, and they took over it, and they were just like running this pub together. Very Irish. Um, in the 1690s, Richard disappeared, and it was believed that he was taken into the British Army and sent to the Netherlands. Kit left her children with her family and disguised as a soldier and enlisted in the infantry of the British Army to find her husband, Richard. She fought in several battles in the Nine Years' War. During that time, she had been hurt and kept as prisoner, but she somehow managed to conceal her identity I have a this hard time. time believing that. I, I mean, really do. I think it's either that the injury they didn't need to inspect below the belts and it was like a superficial but if you're room. being held prisoner i mean like using the bathroom like any of that stuff well some of these people and i can't remember if this was her or somebody else somebody else actually used basically what is known today as a shiwi Oh, like a standing Yes, kind they of got, like, it was like a metal tube with, um, leather straps. So they could even pee standing up next to the soldiers. So I can't remember if it was, I'm going to keep reading, but I couldn't remember if it was her or if it was somebody else. I but thought maybe we said something about that with Deborah Sampson, but I don't remember. We may remember. have. I know. Was, I don't remember. Was, I talked about her, too, and I don't even remember. Um... She spent all of her time with the soldiers. Yes, this was her. She spent all of her time with the soldiers. She drank with them, she slept beside them, and even urinated beside them using a silver tube with leather straps. Although they did refer to her as the pretty dragoon. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) they were like, like, that young man is beautiful. (laughs) You are super pretty. (laughs) Um, She was so good at concealing her identity that a sex worker claimed that Kit was the father of her child. Rather than give her proof that that wasn't possible, she paid child support to the woman. Which I'm like... She's like, I mean, my kid. It was
1: probably also like, this legitimizes me as a man. Yeah. You know, like, people will absolutely believe I'm a man if they believe that I have, if someone's saying that I I was able to get them pregnant. Yeah, Yeah.
2: After her return, she re-enlisted in the Royal Scots Dragoons and continued to search for her husband. As a Dragoon, she would fight on horseback and on foot, and it was believed that she also enjoyed plundering after battles. She's a little thief. (laughs) I'm not mad at it, really. I'm not mad at it, either. In the Netherlands, she managed to find her husband, Richard. He was with another woman. That motherfucker. <gasps> I have traveled through, like... Traveled the world looking for you, and here you are with some other woman. Kit told Richard off, but they remained close, even claiming to be brothers to help conceal her identity and continued serving in the army. So while she was like, fuck you, also, could you help Whatever. me Whatever, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they remained friends. Her identity was eventually discovered during the Battle of Ramillies, where she was wounded and fractured her skull. The brigade commander ordered that her pay be continued while she remained in the army. When she became well enough, she was formally discharged from the Scots Greys. And as part of her discharge, officers paid for a new wardrobe for the now Mrs. Welsh. They were oh, like, We want you, you to- dick. Yeah, like you're going to dress like a lady now. She then served as an official wife on the strength of the first foot as a sutleress. Which, I looked this up and I believe that kind of means like a like a seamstress, but I can't remember exactly. After the War of Spanish Secession, she was presented at As court to Queen Anne and granted a bounty of fifty euros and a shilling a day for the rest of her life as a pension. She spent the rest of her life marrying three different men, opened a new pub, and moved around the world with celebrity status among the military. She was buried in full military honors with other military prisoners at the Royal Hospital Chelsea. Progressive, amazing. I mean, they were like, "But you're gonna dress like a lady." I mean, you have to dress like a lady, but but we're still gonna honor. We'll do this thing for you.
1: Yeah. Okay. The next one I have on my list is also a woman who got into this to go and find her husband, which is (laughs) fascinating. So Hannah Snell... Um, when she was 21 years old, her husband abandoned her and her child in 1744. What a dick! What a dick! And <laughs> I love that she was this like petty about, it. like she yeah. was this <laughs> upset about it that like she was abandoned. Um, in 1744, the young mother from Worcester, England, borrowed both her brother-in-law's clothes along with his name, James Gray, and set out to find her rascal of a spouse. Yeah. When she discovered that her wayward husband had been hanged for murder, she turned her back on a life in the kitchen and joined the Royal Marines instead. Yeah, you did, girl. Snell Snail fought as a man in battles. Uh, throughout india in the 1740s and was wounded a dozen times somehow she managed to keep her true sex a secret from army surgeons and returned home to england in 1750 it was only during the sea voyage back to britain that her real identity was discovered she's
2: like well it's over yeah
1: fucking whatever
2: girl (laughs) um
1: once outed she was drummed from the service but not before attempting to secure her pension from the Duke of Cumberland, who at the time was the head of the army. Her wish was granted. Um, Snell sold her story to a London publisher Who immortalized her saga In a book entitled The Female Soldier Snell later toured England Appearing on stage in military uniform And performing drill She eventually opened a pub Called The Female Warrior Wow they're so similar I know Married again and had two more children Snell died in 1792 But her story lived on In the 1980s two radio plays About her were broadcast in Britain Against the Wind and Warrior
2: that's so cool yeah I like her I love it too my next lady is Anna Maria Lane yes so, it was common for women to work for the military throughout American history, but unheard of for them to openly serve in the ranks. Anna Maria was believed to be from the New England state of New Hampshire. She and her husband joined the Continental Army in 1776, which chicks you want to go 1776.
0: 1776.
2: <laughs> the couple served together. Anna Maria disguised as a man. Lane is, in fact, the only documented woman in Virginia to dress as a man and fight on the battlefield. Code, um, word to remember there is documented. There may have been others. They went on to serve together as husband and wife under General Washington in the Battle of Germantown, where Anna Maria was uh, Anna Maria was severely wounded, which left her unable to walk for a time being. Just before the Battle of Germantown, Washington had issued an... Is it edict or edict? Edict. An edict, which forbade women from accompanying men to battlefield. Historians believe that Anna Maria did not want to receive treatment for her wound after being discovered as a woman. So she was like... I'm good. Don't treat me. I don't want to be found out. General Washington is going to be pissed. <laughs> she continued to fight alongside her husband when he re enlisted in the Virginia Light Dragoons, and they both served together until 1781. It's kind of like a cute military love story.
1: Aww. So the next one I have on my list is Ulrika Eleonora Stahlhammer. All right. So, Ulrika El- was born in 1683, I believe. Yeah, I think, 1683. And she was a Swedish corporal who served in the Great Northern War. She was put on trial for having served in the military, posing as a man, and for marrying a woman. She did enlist in the army as an altillerist in Kalmar in October of 1715 under the name Wilhelm Edstedt. Uh, She did not participate in active warfare, but she was posted in the garrison at Kalhammer, and she didn't see any, like, direct action in the war. Nevertheless, she was successful in her professional conduct and was eventually promoted to the rank of corporal. Wow. Reportedly, she preferred to rent a room rather than sleep in the barracks. So she just avoided that issue altogether. She's like, um, I don't really want to be with all these smelly men, so I'm just (laughs) going to go over here.
2: Girl, I don't blame you.
1: This was permitted and acceptable although somewhat unusual among common soldiers who normally preferred not to spend their meager salary on special sleeping arrangements. On New Year's Eve 1716, she became engaged to a maid named Maria Lonman
2: and married
1: her on the 15th of April of that year. Do you
2: think this woman that she married knew that she she was a woman? So it was later... (laughs) It was later
1: reported that Lonmin thought that Stallhammer was impotent, but that she was content to live without sex as she had previously been a victim of rape, so she was okay having kind of an asexual marriage. Right. Um, Ulrika eventually revealed her sex but they continued to live happily and it was described as a union of spiritual love isn't that sweet like oh my god so yeah after they were married for a while she was like i'm not impotent i'm a woman and can you imagine her wife was like it's okay yeah (laughs) it's it's okay. okay i love you anyway
2: Oh, that's so sweet
1: Yes. So she eventually was arrested. And whenever her sister found out what she had done, she was upset and she wrote a letter saying that it was a sin against the will of God. So, of course, course, her and her sister had this massive um, falling out. Yeah.
2: And And her sister turned her in. Or Um, just had those beliefs? I think
1: it was... She had those beliefs after it was found out that she was a a woman. Got it. Got it. Um, So, on the 10th of February, 1729, Ulrika and Maria were put on trial for being married Aww. and the court of Kalmar did not know under what charge they should be prosecuted yeah. so they consulted the high court and after consulting the bible <laughs> um Stahlhammer was charged with having violated the order of God by dressing like a man and making a mockery of marriage by marrying a member of the same sex
2: assholes mhm So they, like, created this, like, law, basically, from the Bible that didn't even exist before just because they didn't like what she was doing.
1: Right. I mean, this is actually such a love story, though, because Stahlhammer was also charged for having married a member of the same sex. She confessed that she had been taken by a strong love for Lonman and had decided to live and die with her. (laughs) She claimed to have fallen in love with her during a dream and proposed to her.
2: Oh, my God.
1: Isn't that amazing? It's so beautiful. It's pure. So, on December 18th, 1729, Elrika Stahlhammer was judged guilty of having posed as a man and marrying a woman, and these crimes formally meant a death sentence, but Stahlhammer's sentences was limited to one-month imprisonment on water and bread, following <laughs> by pillorying, I don't know what that means, and exile from Calmer. Maria Lahnman was sentenced to 14 days imprisonment for having neglected to reveal the truth about
2: about her her
1: situation um I'm guessing because she they probably made the argument that she thought she was marrying a man at the time yeah and so she was charged with a lesser crime of having not revealed the truth once she knew the truth on January 30th, 1730, King Frederick I of Sweden reduced Stahlhammer's sentences by removing the specification of water and bread. So, she still had to be in prison for 30 days, yeah. but she could eat other food. Okay, good. While Maria Lahnman's sentence was reduced to eight days. After having served their sentences, the couple lived a quiet life on the estates of Elrica's relatives. So, they continued to live together yeah. uh, after well, all of that other. happened. So. So yeah, I mean there's a little bit more
2: about them, but did she um, continually go by her male identity's name or did she go back to her It looks as though female name.
1: It's hard to say. Everything is referring to her as Elrica. Okay. So I'm not entirely
2: So that may be an unknown um detail.
1: It, it may be, because I'm assuming, of course, given the kind of, like, beliefs at the time that they continue to call her Elrica, despite whatever she may have wanted to be called. Right. So, I don't know. I don't know exactly. Okay. But they, there were letters between El- Elrica and um, Maria, <sighs> love letters, that you can find. O- I love Elrica it. died in 1733, and Maria continued as a housekeeper for Elrica's aunt and later her cousin until her death in 1761. Aww. So,
2: what a sweet, what a love sweet love story. story. I'm sorry
1: that was longer than I anticipated. I don't care. <laughs> that was such an amazing story. Oh. All right, King, we are. We just took a brief break for keegan's eye yeah i don't know what's going on so if you hear rattling it's probably because i have a bag of frozen peas on my eye yeah (laughs) my (laughs) eyes swelled up like so big what is happening to us today horrifying i don't know i mean this is a bad day for this to happen so (laughs) i'm just praying i'm gonna try and keep my eye closed i'm praying that this bag of Peas does the trick. (laughs) Can
2: I take a picture of you, please? Yes, I I I feel terrible. I mean, not of your eye, but here I'm just gonna there we go we're totally gonna add that picture oh my picture. god it's so bad <laughs> oh baby girl I, I honestly i feel like this is helping I, it honestly looks better Does already, I look better already? it feels crazy. better already how weird is that because your eyeball looked swollen it was it, it was very like weird. around your pupil it looked yes. like you had like jelly on your eye it, or something. yes it did
1: look like that it was and very it freaky already looks like
2: it's going down okay okay oh thank god okay now my, now my anxiety is relieved too As oh so so you're talking i'm like Keegan. Yeah, I know, it's just
1: getting bigger, like it's going <laughs> to pop, like it was like a science fiction movie. Oh, God. And I have such a busy day today that I'm like, I can't, I can't, <laughs> not today.
2: Oh, all right, well, we're going to keep moving forward all right. with our episode. chug it right Anyways, along. <laughs> yes. So, I'm going to talk about two women kind of together because it's possible that they may have intercepted at some point. So, the next one I'm going to talk about is another Joanna. Joanna Zuber? Zuber? Gosh, this is making me want to name my kid Joanna. Really? Because I'm like... Yeah, because I'm like... They're all badass? Yeah. They're yeah. all, like, badasses. Jo- Joanna Marquez. Joanna? I kind of like it. It's not bad. It's kind of cute. You call him Joe. Joe! Which is adorable. Oh, it's like Joe from Little Women. Yeah. Um, and also, I'm going to be talking about Nadezda Durova. Joanna and her husband enlisted in a section of the Napoleon Bonaparte's Grande Army. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Following the Battle of Zamosk, she was promoted to sergeant for her service during battle. It was possible that Joanna once crossed paths with Nezesda, a Russian cavalry trooper fighting the Tsar. Some people even believe that she was the, a soldier who had actually wounded Joanna. Nezesda was cared for by her soldier father and his fellow soldiers. When she was a young woman, she enlisted as a man named Alexander in the Polish Lancers during the Neopolitanic Wars. Neoplen- I think I've got some typos in here because sometimes things are spelled differently. No worries. So, all right. By 1816, she had achieved the rank of captain. She was unsettled with ordinary life after war and went on to write her memoir, later published as Cavalry Maiden. Oh, that's cool. I love people that went on to write about their stories. Me too. There's so much more about those two, but I've got so many that I wanted to keep in mind. I crying. know. I'm
1: sorry. I, that last one no, was, it was so was. No, I'm <laughs> glad that you did it.
2: It was amazing.
1: Um. Okay, so this next one is really fascinating to me. So this is Albert Cashier. Okay. I'm going to talk about him as him. Yes. In all of these articles, they list the name that he was born under. But I really have a strong sense and belief that he wanted to be recognized as a man. That was
2: kind of what I experienced Um, as well.
1: So I definitely don't want to... uh, in a sense, like, out out him as a, a woman or use his dead name if that wasn't what he intended or wanted. Exactly. So, so I'm going to avoid that here. Maybe it's the wrong call, but I'm just going to yeah, right? make that call. So while there are accounts of hundreds of American women posing as men and enlisting to fight in the U.S. Civil War, this one is one of the most famous. He was a very small 19-year-old whenever he joined the... Illinois Infantry Regiment in the Civil War, fought for the Union. He fought in more than 40 engagements and was even taken prisoner by Confederate soldiers, but managed to escape by overpowering his capt- captors, which was amazing because he was very small in stature. Yeah. Like, he was very small. But that
2: means he's quick. Quick and quick fast. Quick wiry, like a squirrel. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> He remained in the Army until the end of the war and then lived, worked, and voted as a man until being committed to a veteran's hospital in 1911. So, I mean, that's a a huge period of time that he's living as a man. It was only then that uh, he was discovered to be biologically female, permitted to stay in the facility Albert, lived out the rest of his years as a woman and died in 1915. So in order for him to be permitted to stay in that facility at a veterans hospital, even though he had spent so much of his life as a man, living as a man, fighting for his country as a man, in order to stay in the veterans facility, they would only permit it if he went back to his original name and lived out the rest of his years as a woman. But he spent something like 50 years.
2: It reminds Um, me of um, Emilio Robles that we talked about last week yes yeah yeah he, he lived with a male identity but he ended up wanting to be buried in women's clothing in order to appease God and go to heaven
1: yeah, that's, to me, it's so sad. Because if you so spent sad. your entire life, you know, with this one identity, clearly that's what you wanted for your yeah. life, and that's who you feel like you are. Yeah. Um, And then to have that taken away from you, uh, just so that you can live comfortably as an older person is yeah. so sad. I
2: read I read about him, and I wrote notes on him, and I'm not finding him anywhere in my notes. So I'm really glad yeah, that you Yeah, you probably have him. more
1: notes than me, but...
2: Well, I don't have any. I'm glad that you that you covered him, because I remember reading about it, and I thought I took notes on it, but I'm not seeing it anywhere here on my list so. and,
1: and this is one when you look sometimes when you look at some of these pictures you're like oh yeah I mean I could I could see how these like are traditionally feminine like in the one where they were like oh he's a pretty boy or yeah. whatever whereas like this one I mean is if he you the had one with a mustache? no mustache there was no. Th-
2: there was one that had a, a mustache
1: But if you had showed me a picture of him alongside anyone else in the Civil War, I would be like,
2: yeah. Very very passing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Very much looks like... And that probably helped him a lot.
1: Even though he was small. yeah, Yeah. It was like, Yeah.
2: Yeah. so the next person I'm going to be talking about is Frances Clayton experts believe that many women served combat during the American Civil War and Frances Clayton enlisted as Jack Williams and was one of the first soldiers to fire at Fort Sumter she's a Minnesotan so we like her and her name is Frances which is my middle name Um, much like some of the other women Frances enlisted with her husband Elmer Frances fought in as many as 17 combat engagements and kept her disguise even when her husband died in front of her in the Battle of Stones River in 1862. Can you imagine? It would be awful. Yeah, I would be like, the jig's up. Yeah, I'm done. My husband has died. Frances was hurt shortly after her husband died in the hip, and that may have revealed her true identity. But she survived the war, and there isn't much known about her wounds or her post-war life. The series of photos of Frances are known as the most well-known images of female Civil War soldiers, and there is a conspiracy because of discrepancy in her stories, that the story was fabricated, and Frances simply posed as a soldier for a photographer in an effort to profit from the war via donations and a fraudulent pensions application. Um, so there's not a whole lot known about her. I don't really buy that she was like, let me dress up like a man for this. Like, It kind of reminds me of like when you go to a fair and you do like an old-timey photo shoot. Right, yeah, yeah. I don't... I, I believe her when she says that she fought, but I guess there are some discrepancies where people have created this conspiracy theory that she didn't actually fight in the war.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, and it could be either way, I suppose. People are complicated, but I also have a very easy time believing that... Um, they would want to discredit her in some way.
2: Well, yeah, and, like, I don't think it was very... Uh, realistic for her to get a pension if it was known that she was a woman. Right. So why been... would she be doing that to get a pension when, you know, it's just it's right. a very weird um y- Yeah, there
1: are idea. there are easier cons. Like, yeah. you might as well just register as a man or something, like if you're trying right. to get a pension. Exactly. Um, so the next one on my list is Maria Kiteria. I want to say that that's how you say
2: her last name. Russian, I'm assuming?
1: Uh, no, Brazilian.
2: Oh, Brazilian. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So she was born in July of 1972, and she was a Brazilian lieutenant and national heroine. She served in the Brazilian War of Independence in 1822 to 1823, dressed as a man. She was promoted to cadet and lieutenant and decorated with the imperial order. She was called the Brazilian Joan of Arc and has Mm -hmm. become a kind of national legendary figure. Uh, Kateria, was the first woman to serve in the military unit in Brazil. She, along with Maria Filipa de Oliveira and Sister Joanna, again Joanna, Joanna, Sister Joanna Angelica, are known as the three Bahian women uh, resistance fighters in the War of Independence against the Portuguese. I love it. Yeah.
2: Have you heard of Cathay Williams? Yes. Gonna talk about Kathleen Williams. Please do. She is the first African American woman in the U.S. Army. Cathay Williams was also known as William Cathay to her fellow soldiers. She was born a slave in Missouri. Her father was a free man, but her mother was still in bondage as property of a slave owner, which made her a slave as well. In 1861, Cathay was forced into the Union Army as a cook and a washerwoman because captured slaves were officially designated by the Union as, quote, contraband. By 1864, she worked for Union General Philip Sheridan and traveled with the Army to the Western Theater. In 1866, when the war ended, Cathay was able to disguise herself as William Cathay and enlisted in the Army until 1866 for a three-year engagement. She even passed a a cursory medical exam and was assigned to the 38th United States Infantry Regiment. So, obviously, these exams were not very invasive. Only two others were... To have known of her disguise, her cousin and a friend, both fellow soldiers. For several years, she served in the New Mexico Territory as several barrack outposts. In New Mexico, she contracted smallpox and was frequently hospitalized. So, so far, New Mexico and Missouri, both My key- states. Keegan places. My hey. Um, the post surgeon for her smallpox finally discovered that she was a woman, and she was discharged by the commanding officer in 1868. Cathay was later married, but her husband stole her money and, a te- and her team of horses. A lot so of she- shitty men in this episode. So she had him arrested. Yeah, amen. <laughs> she went on to be a seamstress and, o- and owned a boarding house. It was around the time that she was working in the boarding house that a reporter heard rumors of her story and conducted an interview with her that would be published in the St. Louis Daily Times- On January second, eighteen seventy six. In 2016, a bronze bust of Cathay Williams featuring information about her and a small rose garden around it was unveiled outside the Richard Allen Cultural Center in Levensworth, Kansas. In 2018, the private Cathay Williams Monument Bench was unveiled on the Walk of Honor at the National Infantry Museum. Super cool. There's wow. way more about her I know, as well.
1: I know. There yeah. is. <laughs> we'll talk about her probably, like, in our Forgotten Feminist Faves Totally. Oh, this like, is, this is like,
2: going to be a great time like when we ever oh yeah the, these, are these, these are
1: gold all of these are gold yeah so speaking of, um, Sarah Rosetta Wakeman was born in January 16, on January 16th, 1843. She was a woman who served in the Union Army during the American Civil War under the male name Lyons Wakeman. Wakeman served with Company H, 153rd New York Volunteer Infantry, and her letters were that were written during her service um, are one of the only, like, accounts. There's, you know, a few accounts of, like, diary entries and letters that we have to see, like, what it was like to be a woman in the war at this time or in the military at this time. So, she served for the Union, and in her letters, she said that camp life was difficult, but she enjoyed or liked to be a soldier very well. Aww. And when she wrote her letters, she signed them with her birth name. Really? Which, if they had been intercepted, could have been extremely yeah, dangerous awkward for conversation. Her. Yes. So, she actually ended up dying in battle, uh, in one of the battles at the Red River Campaign Pain. It claimed uh, several lives, including hers. She contracted chronic diarrhea, of which she Ugh. eventually died. Can you imagine dying of diarrhea? No. Like, it would be so painful. Chronic! So painful. Ugh um and so smelly yeah uh an uncomfortable just so uncomfortable oh
2: you'd have to um, live the rest of your life on a toilet yes oh. in the
1: marine usa general hospital in new orleans oh. so she was not the only one there were a lot of union soldiers who died this way because the drinking water was contaminated by yeah. rotting animals oh. yeah it's all horrifying oh. Her headstone reads "Lions Wakeman, so it has her male name on it, and she okay. was buried with full military honors. Do
2: you think that it was that name so that she could be buried with full military honors, that they kind of honored her in that way? Maybe or so many that, people died, they didn't even... True. But
1: no, they would have had to, because she would have had to have had nurses tending yeah. to her. Or do you,
2: like, do you think that it was a way to cover the fact that there was a woman that Maybe. had managed to infiltrate Possibly. the military? Possibly. Because there was a lot of people that wanted to keep like when keep the that shit under wraps out. yeah, yeah
1: but she was buried at the Chalamet National Cemetery in New Orleans. Her letters and their record of her military experiences were discovered more than a century after her death in a relative's attic. Can you imagine? A gold mine. Her Her descendants still have the letters, a photograph, and a ring of Wakeman's. Wakeman's letters were discovered in 1976 and subsequently edited and published by Lauren Burgess in 1994 as an uncommon soldier, the Civil War, letters of Sarah Rosetta Wakeman. Do you
2: that they have a wing of hers? What does that mean? A wing? Yeah.
1: Oh, a ring.
2: Oh, I they said a wing. No, <laughs> no. <is> like, <laughs> like one of those little pilot's wings? No, like, no. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. Old jewelry is my favorite. It too. is. It's the oh, best. Heirlooms. I am now going to speak about Loretta Janetta Velazquez. Please. Velazquez loretta was a member of the confederate army she was born in cuba in 1842 and around the age of 17 was sent to new orleans for school she was infatuated with fairy tales and stories of heroism and stated that who was her inspiration Joan of Arc? Joan of Arc. Of course. At the age of 14, she married a Texas militia officer who soon went to war with Texas and the other southern states left the American Mm -hmm. Union. So I had to do some digging in this because I'm like, she's 14. (laughs) Like, what was this deal? But it seems like it was like a loving marriage while totally illegal. How old was he? He was old. Like, he was... I can't remember off the top of my head, but he, he wasn't 14. He was older. At first, her husband, William, aided Loretta... In her endeavors to dress as a man to enlist, he agreed to a night out together with her as a man, saying that once she sees what men are really like, she would change her mind. This only strengthened her desire to enlist. She failed to convince her husband to let her join him, so she acquired two uniforms and adopted the name Henry T. Buford. And moved to Arkansas. She then recruited 236 men in four days, shipped them to Florida, and presented them to her husband as her command. Wow. Her husband's Ballsy. I know, right? Her husband soon died demonstrating use of weapons to his troops. I shouldn't be laughing, but it's kind of like, mm, you were kind of a dick. Her first endeavor as a soldier was during the first Battle of Bull Run. She got tired of camp life and went back to female garb in Washington, D.C., where she spied for the Confederacy, where she claimed to have met Abraham Lincoln. She then returned to the South and was assigned to detective corps. In Tennessee, she fought in the siege of Fort Donaldson under until surrender. She was wounded in battle but not exposed, so she went back to her male identity to continue fighting. She fled to New Orleans, where she was arrested for being suspected a female spy in disguise. After she was released, she enlisted and got away from the city. At Shiloh, she found the battalion she raised in Arkansas and fought in battle. So she was like, hey, here's all my people. Let's keep fighting Let's together. Do this. She was again almost discovered, so she fled back to New Orleans and saw Major General Benjamin F. Butler take command of the city. She decided to give up her uniform at that point. She later tried to organize a rebellion of Confederate prisoners of war. There is a movie about her life called Rebel, which is an investigative investigative documentary. The film is a detective story exploring Loretta's claims and the politics involving, involved in erasing her from history. So this was another one where they were kind of like, she was able to flee and move around and things like that. And the government did their best to kind of like hide this story to not embarrass themselves, basically. Interesting. So
1: yeah. <laughs> Fascinating. So, I am going to talk about Zoya Smirnow.
2: <gasps> Zoya?
1: Which this is great. If you've so, seen, have you
2: seen Glow? I haven't. Okay, I need to her, watch uh, Breeze character her wrestler's like persona is Zoya the destroyer.
1: That's so funny. Um so Zoya Smir Smirnow was a Russian woman who fought during World War One disguised as a man. She and eleven other schoolmates disguised themselves as men. Yes, I know so, about her. So they could fight in the war. Smirnow was sixteen when she enlisted. Two of the women women were as young as fourteen. They participated in the defense of Galicia and the Carpathians. Smirnow became a representative of of the group when she recounted their story to the English press as smirnow recounted to the newspapers the girls left their moscow school without informing anyone on the 8th day of mobilization <laughs> i.e. the end of july in 1914 later and they traveled to lviv l v i v i don't know how you say that
2: lviv lviv I don't know. That's my mm-hmm. best guess. Levite.
1: Um, Where they dressed as men and enlisted in the army undetected. When the first bombs fell on their position, they cried out, as did many of the men. One girl, Zina Morozov, was killed in the Carpathians when a bomb fell at her feet. Oh. She was buried by her friends. Can you oh. fucking imagine? They're teenagers. Yeah. Um, two other girls were subsequently wounded. After Smyrnau was wounded, her gender was discovered. Smirnau's story was retold in Magnus Hirschfeld's The Sexual History of the World War, a book that was later banned and burned during the Third Reich. Of course.
2: Of course it was. <laughs> yeah, that's a really fascinating story. I, had, I didn't have any of the details, but I had it listed in some of my other notes that I have for this episode. Um, so the last person that I'm going to talk about is Dorothy Lawrence. She is the only known British woman to fight in World War I. She was an orphan and has claimed to have been assaulted by her guardian, an official of the Church of England, while in his care. Before World War I, Dorothy wanted to become a journalist, and at the outbreak of the war, biked through France, keeping close to the English army to try to prove herself as a frontline correspondent she was heavily discriminated against. In 1915, she decided she would write a first-hand account of World War I. Dorothy had several soldiers on leave smuggle uniforms for her and equipment kits until she could slip into the ranks unnoticed. She flattened her figure with a homemade corset using sacking and cotton wool to bulk her shoulders and cut her long brown hair into a short military cut. She darkened her complexion with Condi's fluid, which is a disinfectant that would give the appearance of a shaving rash, and added Smart. shoe yeah and added shoe polish to tan her face, which I don't know <laughs> what that was for, but <laughs> you know. they wanted that swarthy. Yeah, right? I've been in the sun. Questionable Um, (laughs) nowadays. Yeah, don't put shoe polish on your face. Um, Her soldier friends taught her how to drill and march. She obtained papers as Private Dennis Smith. Dorothy was then smuggled into the 179th Tunneling Company of Royal Engineers to create mines under German trenches. Each mine was filled with explosives and, and detonated. She became very ill doing this work and turned herself in. She was temporarily imprisoned... The army was embarrassed that a woman had breached security and was afraid that there were more women among her that were the same as Dorothy. She was made to swear not to write about the experience to save the army from such embarrassment or she would be sent to jail. She also at this time spoke for the uh, suffragette meetings. She later tried to write about her experience in the Wide World Magazine in London, but was interrupted by the 1914 Defense of Realm Act, which silenced her. She later commented, In making that promise, I sacrificed the chance of earning by newspaper articles written not on the escapade as a girl compelled to earn her livelihood. She eventually wrote a heavily censored book, Sapper Dorothy Lawrence, The Only English Woman Soldier, which was very well received, but because of the censorship, did not get the commercial success that she desired. After World War One, She suffered ridicule Rejection And financial difficulties She was committed To a mental institution Because of bizarre behavior And coming forward With her childhood rape Until her death In the 1960s Her book was found By a descendant Of one of her soldier friends It was actually It was like a grandson Of one of the Like friends That she'd made In the mm-hmm. war And a historian Started collecting notes To write her biography Her story later went on To be part of an exhibition At the Imperial War Museum On women at war Wow. Yeah, they were like, this girl's crazy because she claims that she was raped, and she's acting a little bit bizarre. Let's put her yeah, in Yeah, let's put
1: her hospital. in an institution. Yeah. Clearly, she's hysterical. Yeah. Um, I only have one more, and okay. this one is kind of not in the most traditional sense that we've been talking, but right. I thought it would be interesting to include one from mm-hmm. uh, World War II. So... Uh, Frida Belenfante was a Dutch cellist, conductor, and prominent lesbian and a member of the Dutch resistance during World War II. So she became a good friend with an artist named Willem on... Arendous, who was an openly gay man and a leader of the resistance council in the Dutch resistance. Wow. She actively contributed to the resistance movement, mainly by forging personal documents for Jews and others who were wanted by the Gestapo. Together with uh, Arendous, she was part of the KCK resistance group and organized and executed the bombing of the population registry in Amsterdam wow. on March 27th, 1943, which destroyed thousands of files and uh, hindered Nazi attempts to compare forged documents with documents at the registry. So smart. So, yeah, yeah. She's like, prove it's not real. Yeah, you know, like you, you have nothing pants. to compare it to. <laughs> Uh, the KCK group came under scrutiny by the Gestapo after the bombing, forcing Belafonte and other members into hiding. While in hiding, Belafonte learned of the arrests and executions of other KCK members, including Arandos, and Belafonte disguised herself as a man— And lived with friends for three months as a man, before being traced by the Nazis. The resistance helped her avoid capture and to cross the border uh, to Belgium and France, where the French underground helped her make her way to Switzerland. When she and her travel partner arrived at the border in the winter of 1944, they were forced to cross the Alps on foot to reach safety, which is intense. Yeah. her, form- her former teacher, Herman Schurchen, saved her from being sent back over the border by verifying that she was a Dutch citizen and his former pupil. On arriving to Montreal, she was given refugee status and worked for a short time on a farm as a laborer, and she, after the war, ended up coming to the United States and eventually settled in Santa Fe, New Mexico, but she also continued her career in music here in the United States and was one of the founding artistic directors and conductors of the Orange County Philharmonic.
2: Oh, my so, gosh. That's amazing. Um, that reminds me of the traveling over the Alps on foot reminds me of a book that I read that's based on a real person that I would love to talk about at some point during one of our forgotten favorites. Um, it's a book called The Nightingale, and it's by Hannah something. I, I, feel like, yeah, I, feel like, I feel like I've talked about it before. I think you have, yeah. It's one of the best books I've ever read. It's absolutely amazing, and that just kind of reminded me of it. I have, like, a, a, a two-sentence little blurb about one more person uh, named James Barry, who was an Irish Army surgeon, who is thought to have taken a male identity to study medicine, but James actually lived out the rest of his life as a male, and his anatomy was only revealed at his death when his body was being prepared for burial. So he wasn't a soldier, but he was an Army surgeon.
1: Right. I think that absolutely counts, especially since, you know, as we said, um traditionally, women could only participate in the military as nurses or aides and that included not being able to participate as doctors. Right, and what I read
2: about James is that he just really wanted to be a surgeon. He wanted to be a doctor in general and then once he obtained that he wanted to help the war efforts and became a army surgeon. And this is this is one person who I will only refer to by male name, because I believe that this person, because he lived out the rest of his life as a male, today may have been considered, may have identified himself as being transgender. Right,
1: yes. Yeah, and it's hard to speculate on, like, what their wishes are, and I don't know if it's, you uh, Well, because you
2: know, that, that idea didn't even really exist. Right, right.
1: And I, so it does feel like we're kind of, like, walking on eggshells with things like that, because... I'm so hesitant to make that kind of call, but also, like, if you spent that much time and energy to either conceal your identity or you very much wanted to be looked at in that way, I would think that they would want their wishes to be honored, Yes, you know, after death.
2: Exactly. Um, And we can only make our best judgment now, you know.
1: So there aren't a lot of things after that. I mean, of course, I'm sure that there are still instances of women dressing
2: as men for certain privileges, especially in certain parts of the world. By World War II, there were more um, invasive medical exams before you could go in, so that made things incredibly difficult. I mean, I think there are stories of people being kind of smuggled in, like the uh, journalists that I talked about during the French War uh, following British troops. She was kind of smuggled in by fellow soldiers and things like that.
1: Right, yeah. I mean, and also their. Uh, we're getting into territory once World War II comes uh, where we're getting into territory where it became legal legal and permissible for women to actually join the military as yes. women. So in 1917, Loretta Walsh became the first woman to enlist as a woman. So that was in 1917. And there weren't a lot of rules for it. She enlisted as part of like um, the Navy, I believe. Yeah. Um, so there weren't a lot of rules for it, but they were like she just went for it and was like, I'm going to try yeah. to enlist in the Navy as a woman. And she was allowed and permitted to do that. And then in 1948, at least in the United States, in 1948, there was a law that made women a permanent part of military services. And in 1976, the first group of women were admitted into a U.S. military academy. So after that, it became less necessary yeah. to conceal your gender um, right? To in order to join the and military. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and there were also women, like I said in the beginning, who were like camp followers who would follow their husbands and bring their families and things right. like that. Right. I mean, and there were and always. Would end up participating in right. the war in some way, shape, or form. And there form. were
1: always women working as nurses and yeah. things and on, who on the battlefield. Yeah, so brave. Yeah, absolutely. So brave. I mean, you're out there getting bombed, getting like, you know, shots fired at you while trying to take care of these um, soldiers. Yeah. So there is all of that. But, you know, I do want to touch very quickly before we end this episode on. Um, we are very
2: aware of the difficulties that transgender people still have in our military. I had pages written ready in case we had the time to do it. I believe that it would be great to have a separate episode. Yeah yeah, we should definitely
1: have a separate episode focusing on that. Um, but just to touch on it very quickly, in the United States right now, the Trump administration is trying to ban people who are openly transgender from participating in the military and
2: unless um, they want to fight as their biological sex, right? Uh, as that the, was at yeah, 1 point but i don't, but I don't know, know where be, we're at now but
1: yeah. i believe that that is the case still yeah. um which is so incredibly upsetting and insulting yeah. um and it's not like it's the exact same thing as all of the people that we talked about today but it is kind of like a uh sister issue to yes, that issue i agree i think that's
2: I all think, we got I mean and that's all we really have time for you guys we uh, we really got this one done so thank you so much for listening if there's anything that we missed today if there's anything you want to add to people that you know about that we didn't talk about which by like the that, way there's a
1: ton oh yeah like there's so much like yeah. you could honestly go on for days talking about it was such a common thing yeah or not you know super
2: common but common enough that yeah. there are plenty of documented cases that we didn't even touch on. Exactly. So if there's anyone, anybody that you that we miss that you think we should know about and would think is cool and that we could maybe talk about for a feminist fave at some point go ahead and email us at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com. You can also follow and direct message us on Instagram at angry neighborhood feminist We have a Twitter. It's at YAMF Podcast. Y-A-N-F, Y-A-N-F Podcast. We have a Facebook business and group page. Go ahead and rate and review us on our Facebook business page. Uh, you can also so rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We really, really love it. It makes us so happy. It also makes us happy when you listen to us on Radio Public. It's a free way for you to listen, and it helps us out just a little bit. That's all we have for you today. With all of that being said, we encourage you to rage on. Bye. Goodbye.